Good. All right. It's good. It's a, it's starting to be that time of year when you can go out and it's cool and you can put on a sweater, build a fire in the fireplace. We did that yesterday. Great stuff. Um, glad you're here this morning to worship God our Father through Jesus Christ our Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, let me uh, be among the first to welcome you into the family and uh, pray. And just a, just a prayer for you that, um, that you would find a, a home here and that you would become part of the family because it is our desire, uh, if you have never done so, to help you meet Jesus. And if you already know him, to help you advance in spiritual maturity and to better glorify him with your life and with the gifts that God has given to you. Uh, got, a, uh, got a note this morning from a friend of mine who told me that there is a judge down in Bay Minette, Alabama, who, sa- who has uh, allowed misdemeanor offenders a choice. Which, uh, they can either go to jail or go to church every Sunday for a year. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what to do with that. I don't know what he was trying to tell me, if he thought there was a good resemblance between the two choices or not. But uh, we do try to make church around here as, less li- as least uh, like going to prison as possible. <laughs> okay. Uh, we are excited that you're here. And this week we are going to be looking, we're kind of moving through our, uh, our doctrinal statement, but by way of doing that, we're actually moving through uh, the salvation history and talking through uh, the Bible from uh, beginning to end, and we begin with God, and then a God who speaks, and then this week we're going to look at human beings and the human condition, and a uh, way to boil that down, uh, if you want to think of it this way, is uh, what is wrong with the world. What is wrong with the world? Well, it depends on who you ask. Sounds like some of you got some answers. Uh, If you ask a Republican, what they will tell you, it is those evil Democrats and their evil ideological uh, policies, which are leading us down the road to destruction and decline. And if you, <laughs> okay, if you ask a Democrat, what they will say is those stupid Republicans and their stupid ideology and their cruel policies that are leading us down the primrose path to ruin, okay? If you ask a, if you ask a Buddhist, what they will say is that it is our desires as people which conflict with one another and the solution to that is to follow the noble eightfold path to enlightenment where, whereby you get rid of all of your desires and you meld with the universe and achieve nirvana, okay? Um, if, you ask a, if you ask a devout Muslim, what they will say is that the, what is wrong with the world is that not yet all of the world has come under submission, Islam, to Allah. And that when the entire world is ruled by Sharia and, all the, and the entire world is living in submission, Islam, to Allah, then all will be right with the world. 
if you ask a Hindu, what they will say is that nothing is wrong with the world. And that what appears to be wrong is in fact illusion. And you think it's a snake, but actually it's a rope. You, your eyes deceive you and your heart deceives you. And when you realize that there is no distinction between good and evil, well, then you attain enlightenment. Okay? All kinds of different answers. Probably some of you have got a, got a list of things you could tell me of what you think is wrong with the world. But what does the Bible say? Because if there is a God of love and truth who exists, and if he has spoken to us in his word as we believe, then what the Bible says is indeed the most important answer we could find about what is wrong with the world, because we all recognize that the world as it is is not the way it's supposed to be. Amen? Uh, I want you to go for a biblical answer, the biblical answer, uh, to the book of Romans, chapter 5. We're not going to do as much flipping as we've done in previous weeks. We're just going to look at one passage, Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. And you're going to look, first of all, at the law of sin and death. Verses 12 to 14. Read with me, if you will. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, in these verses, Paul is asking us to remember the fall back in Genesis 3. You remember? Uh, we studied that, it's been several months ago now, uh, way back in about the third week of January. Uh, but what you remember, if you remember, is that Eve was deceived by the serpent uh, into eating fruit from the tree that God had explicitly commanded them not to eat. And then Adam had a choice. He could either follow his wife into sin, into what God had explicitly told him not to do, or he could reject that temptation to sin and retain his relationship with God. What did he choose? He chose the woman and sin instead of obedience and God. And in so doing, he plunged the entire human race into sin. And remember what God had said in his command? God emphasized the the abundance of the provision that God had made. He says this, he said, freely you can freely eat from all of the trees of the garden, but of the one tree don't eat. And then he emphasized the certainty of the judgment to come. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And they ate, and they disobeyed God. And what happened? Well, death came into the world. Because the law is, if you sin, you die. And, and every person following Adam, because 
all of us, in a sense, since we all descend from the same original couple, all of us, in a sense, were in Adam and Eve way back when, right? Have you seen two people? Apparently, you've seen them all. Um, And uh, because all of us descend from him, we were in their bodies, potentially. They hadn't had that many kids yet, but... If, but all the races and types and kinds and sexes of people come from Adam and Eve. And so when Adam sinned, we were connected to him. And that connection bore fruit in this, that every person born after Adam has a sin nature. That's what the Bible calls it, a sin nature. And what that means is, is that you are born naturally a rebel against God, that you come hardwired out of the womb ready to sin and rebel against God. Now, if you do not believe me that this is true, what the Bible says, have a couple of children, and you will see that it is true. Children come hardwired from the womb for sin and evil. (laughs) Okay. That's a fact, all right? I never had to teach our kids to lie. I have to teach them to tell the truth. I never had to teach them, be selfish. Refuse to share. (laughs) Okay, that all comes as part of the deal, okay? Be violent, hit one another. No, you don't have to teach kids that. Why? It's hardwired into the system. It's hardwired into our system as well. We are by nature sinners, the Bible says. And that we then, because we are that by nature, we do what our nature requires us to do, which is actually commit sin as soon as we are morally able. So we are sinners not just by nature, but also by choice, that we choose to sin as well as being sinners by nature. And I guess probably the... um, Easiest way I could explain this, I used to have bird dogs, and I used to run bird dogs a lot with my dad, and you get, when you get a good one, it is their nature to want to find birds, to want to track a chucker or a grouse or a pheasant or a quail, and you get out in the woods, and as soon as they get a snootful of hot bird scent, they get bug-eyed and stiffen up and point. (laughs) You know, <laughs> and they can hardly wait, you know. Ooh, get in there and kick that bird out so we can catch him, you know. <laughs> um, we're going to get him, you know. You know, and then if you don't get him, you know, the dog is disappointed. He looks at you like, what was that, boss? I did my job. You know, why does the dog do that? Because it's his nature. Everything in him is bred to do that. Or if you get a coon hound and you turn him loose in the woods anywhere, It's, you know, he's off to the races. Why? It's his nature. He wants to do that. When he finds that coon, he wants to run him up the tree. And when you shoot him out, he wants to get a hold of him. Why? It's his nature. In a similar way, the Bible says that we inherit a sin nature from Adam. And that our sin nature predisposes us just like a, a bird dog on a hot track is predisposed to find that bird. Or a coon hound to run a run a coon up a tree. Uh, as soon as they ha- as soon as they make a decision, I'm going to do this. 
And so do we. We make a decision because it's our nature to sin, and we sin over and over and over. And guess what? The law of sin and death still applies. You sin, and therefore you die. And if you don't believe me on that, just check the statistics. They're all in. One out of one dies. Nobody gets out of here alive. We all die. Why? Because death is the penalty for sin. It was the penalty in Adam's day. It's still the penalty. Where did that death penalty enter in? The Bible says, Romans 5, it came in through one man, Adam, and death through sin. That death is the consequence. And death spread to all men because all sinned. All were born with the sin nature, and then as soon as we were morally able to be responsible for our choices, we act on our desire to sin by sinning. And then, this may get confusing, verse 13 and 14. I want you to look at this. It says, For sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. In other words, there's this long period of time between Adam and Moses. Long period of time. Uh, Hundreds, possibly thousands of years that elapse between Adam and Moses. And the law of God does not come into, is not revealed to human, human beings in that period of time. But guess what? People still died. Why? Because during that period of time, God is expecting people to obey the conscience that he has put in them. But they don't. And they do what they know to be wrong, and therefore God judges them for it. And so, and then, by the way, in the same way, God still holds people responsible, though they do not have the Bible, though they have never heard of Jesus, he still holds people responsible for what they know to be wrong that they still do. How do we know that something is wrong? Well, one way is inside of us, there is a sense that says, oh, I don't know if I should do this, but then we go ahead and do it. But the other way is this, when someone does something to you, that is wrong, you recognize it as being wrong, right? So in other words, we may say, we, you can act like, well, you know, there's really not a distinction between right and wrong, between good and evil, between lying and truthfulness. But when someone lies to you, you get all offended. Why? Well, because of that moral sense that God put in you. And God expected people between Adam and Moses to live by the dictates of the conscience he had put in them. But they didn't. And so death reigned. Remember those genealogy passages? And -and so-and-so lived so many years and begat so-and-so and and had other sons and daughters. And altogether so-and-so lived so many years. And what? And he died. And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And you read all the way through your Bible about so-and-so's life and how they lived and how many years they lived and what they did with the years they were given. And then at the end of their life, what? They died. Why? Because they're sinners, and sin penalty is death. And the law of sin and death reigned. It says it reigned even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. What does he mean by that? What he means is this. Adam was given a direct command by God, don't do this. When Adam did it, 
he incurred the penalty. Between Adam and Moses, there's not a lot of direct commands that are given by God. Therefore, a lot of other people's sinning was not like Adam's in that it wasn't a violation of a direct command, but nevertheless, it was a violation of what God had, had put in them, a sense of right and wrong, and therefore they were judged, and therefore they died. And then last line here in this, I want to draw your attention to this comment at the end of verse 14, that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. What he means by that is this, is that Adam in some ways is like Jesus, the Messiah. And in the rest of the chapter, he's going to compare Jesus and Adam. Adam was like a type of Messiah. Adam comes out very negatively in the comparison, but you can make some easy comparisons. For example, Adam, Jesus, both given an assignment by God. Adam and Jesus, both representatives of the whole human race. Adam failed in a garden. Jesus, tempted by the same serpent victorious in the garden. Adam has a choice between my will or God's will. Jesus has a choice between my will or God's will. What is, what is Adam to decide? My will. What's Jesus decide? Not my will, but yours be done. Okay? Now, we're going to get this comparison working all the way through the rest of the chapter. And this is, uh, this is a whole area of, of theology and Bible study that is really interesting, this whole idea of typology or that certain things that happened in the, in the past are types of things that will happen in the future. And we can't get into all of that, but you need to know that he's, gonna, he's saying this, so he's gonna, that he's alerting you. I'm going to make a comparison here between these two guys because I want you to see some things between the two of them. So... Uh, he says this, verse 15, about the free gift. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you remember the old Superman comics? Raise your hand. Come on. Don't be, don't be, don't be ashamed. All right. Uh, do you remember Bizarro Superman? You remember? He's kind of pasty and gray skin. He's got the S backwards on his chest and all this, right? Um, and he talks funny and so forth. And instead of, instead of talking about saving people, he talks about killing them. And instead of uh, helping people, he's hurting them. And he's kind of the, kind of the backwards version of Superman, right? Instead of loving Lois Lane, he's kidnapping her and taking her to Lex Luthor and all this, right? Um, and what he's saying, essentially, what Paul is essentially saying is that Adam is like Bizarro Jesus. 
He is everything that Jesus achieves for us in a positive sense, Adam brings on us in a negative way. So Jesus saves people from death as a result of their sin. Adam puts them to death with him for their sin. Uh, and because of Adam's sin, everybody is subject to sin and death. And But because of God's grace to us, his free gift to us in Jesus' death and resurrection, we're, we're set free from both sin and death. Because of Adam, everybody is condemned and guilty and worthy of going to hell. Everyone, because of Adam. Nice job, by the way, big guy. Thanks a lot. But the free gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ makes us justified before God. Now, if you, if you want to underline some stuff in your Bible, underline that word justified. We're justified. Because justified means that God credits to us that which does not belong to us. He credits to us Jesus' righteousness. So it would be like, as an example, to put it in perspective, imagine that you are $8 billion in debt working an eight fifty dollars an hour job. You aren't going to get out of debt. I got news for you. I don't care how many hours you work. You're not getting out of debt. Not, not if you work the rest of your life and the rest of your wife's life are you going to get out of debt. In fact, your great-grandkids will still be in debt at that wage rate at, with that much that you owe. But for no reason at all other than that he decided that he loved you, Bill and Melinda Gates decide to adopt you into their family. Can they clear the debt? Yes. They bring in resources that do not belong to you, and they credit you as having paid out of their resources. Why? They decided to, out of a free gift. They brought you into their family, and they said, we're going to pay your debt for you. And that is what the Bible means by justified. Only, in a sense, God has a lot more money than Bill and Melinda. Because... Jesus, when he comes, pays off not just the debt of, of you and me, but of all of the sin debt of the entire human race is paid at the cross. And it's a free gift. And all that a person has to do to, to receive that gift is to place their trust in Jesus Christ who made the payment and accept it. And when we couldn't pay it all, Jesus paid it for us. And we were credited with it. We were justified so that when we stood before God, we stand before him debt-free. And our sin has been paid. Now, remember those, those chapters we read in Genesis where the refrain is, and he died? Well... <laughs> That phenomenon still goes on. Once you hit about 24 years old, sorry, young folks, um, if you're younger than that, enjoy it while it lasts. 
Because once you hit about 24, you're on the downhill slide. Your hair starts to turn gray or uh, turn loose. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, uh, you start to get wrinkles. Things start to drift downward. All right. You may have an hourglass figure at 24, but at 48, the sand tends to fall toward the bottom. All right. Uh, why? Because we are subject to death. And our bodies are in the process of decaying even while we live. But consider the, the new Adam, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Instead of death reigning over us, those who receive the free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ not only receive that gift, the gift of righteousness that is imputed, to use a theological term, or credited to us, but we also receive gratis, according to verse 17. Look at your, look at your Bible. We also receive, through the abundance of God's grace, the free gift of righteousness. In other words, so, so I'm going to use two words, okay, and they're real similar. Uh, justification is about imputed righteousness. In other words, getting righteousness, in a sense, on credit from God, by which he clears your debt and enables you to stand innocent before him. But you also get, another word, imparted righteousness. That when you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, place your, uh, by placing your trust in him, you are adopted into God's family, and you are given the indwelling Holy Spirit. Amen? And then the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart, and you receive, by grace, again, the transforming power of the Spirit working within you so that you are start to be actually righteous, not just considered righteous, credited righteous, but actually righteous in the way you behave and speak and think and act. Okay? So that's really cool. So our justification comes to us by what? By grace. And then our sanctification happens in us by what? Grace, and then one more thing. Look at this, verse 17. This is really exciting. You've got to just get pumped about this because this is awesome. You will also reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? Last step in your salvation, glorification. When do we reign? Well, it isn't here. When do we reign? When Jesus establishes his kingdom, we reign with him in righteousness alongside Jesus. And so from beginning to end, Paul is saying that from beginning to end, our salvation is by grace. So our justification occurs by grace because God in his grace simply decided to love us and to show us grace in Jesus Christ at the cross and in his resurrection to give us our alien righteousness, to impute it to us and give us credit for righteousness we had not earned. And then he saves us by faith in his son 
and gives us the Holy Spirit who imparts righteousness to us and enables us to act in ways that are pleasing to God. And then at the end of everything, he enables us by grace to reign with him. Have we done anything lately that would merit being um, king of the universe along with Jesus? No. But nevertheless, by God's grace, he gives that to us. So whereas Adam brought us death and credited to us a sin nature, which is not great, and then we acted with wickedness on our sin nature in, and then brought us death and separation from God in hell for all eternity, that Jesus, the second Adam, credited to us righteousness from him instead of us, and then imparted to us a new nature to replace the old one, which enabled us to live in a righteous way, and then enables us to reign not in death, in hell, but in heaven with God. Amen? Exciting stuff. This is great. If this does not make your spiritual heart beat, you are dead. I am serious. There is something seriously, spiritually wrong with you. If talking about God's grace to us and how much he has loved us and revealed that to us in his son does not thrill you, and we need to talk because you need to come to Jesus because that's what it's all about, okay? Now, Death will not ultimately reign. Now, this is the great crescendo. This, if you if you like music, you know this. It, it, when when you are in a, a symphony, and it just builds and builds and builds, and you start out maybe with just the piccolo, and then the oboe, and then the clarinets come in, and then the trumpets, and then you get the horns in there, and then the trombones and all the flutes and strings and all of that and then you get the drums and boom you know and you've got this great crescendo toward the end right uh well like if you listen to 1812 overture you know you know that you're at the end when they start shooting the cannons off okay paul's going to shoot the cannons off here verse 18 to 20 therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I get chills just reading that, but I want to explain it to you so that you can be just as excited and pumped up about this as me. Paul is summarizing here what he has been teaching, and bottom line, what he's teaching is this, is that Adam's single sin brought death to the whole human race. But Jesus' single sacrifice brought salvation to the same people who stood condemned before God for their sin. Adam was the first representative that we had, and he failed miserably. He failed. His sin brought disaster on the, us and on the entire world that came after him. But Jesus Christ was a much better representative. 
His coming brought us back to wholeness, brought us back into relationship with God, brought us back into the relationship that we were designed for. It brought us freedom from sin and death and hell. Look at verse 20. Look at this. He's going to circle back around in verse 20 to his comment back in, um, back in verse 13 about the law. It says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, what's he mean by that? What he means is this. Uh, those of you who are parents, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're a parent. All right. When you tell your kid... Uh, when, when your kid does something stupid, like, let's say, jump on the sofa uh, and, uh, you know, and put marks on the ceiling, you know, as they're jumping, you know, now my kids would never do that, but your kids might. Um, and, uh, and, you know, they, it's just dumb. Why do they do that? Because they're kids. They don't know any better, right? Uh, it's... You know, it's damaging to the sofa. You got, you know, a little dents in the ceiling from the broomstick or whatever. Uh, it's wrong. They shouldn't have done that, right? But if you had specifically told them, don't do that, then guess what? They're in big trouble. In the first instance, I might just say, you know what? That's not really the smartest. Number one, you can fall off. Number two, I don't want to have to do all that drywall repair. In, but in the second case, hey, I told you not to do that. Why are you doing it? Then you get the Bill Cosby. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> you know, didn't I tell you not to do that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Why are you doing it? I don't know. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's a bigger deal in the second case. Why? Because you've specifically prohibited them from doing that. You specifically prohibited them from doing that. God gave the law to reveal himself and to make it clear what standards of right and wrong were. But after the giving of the law, then people had less excuse. They couldn't stand before God and go, I didn't know. You know, I'm sorry, but I didn't know. You know, um, after the giving of the law, then you're without excuse. Now when you sin, you sin knowingly. You sin knowing what God's standard is. In spite of that, you choose to rebel. And so, so Paul says that after the giving of the law, sin increased. Why? Because now when people sin, they're doing so knowing full well what God expects. He says, but where sin got worse, and increased where now it's sin as it were with a high hand i don't care what you say i'm going to do it anyway is essentially what people do and did i don't care what god says i'm going to do what i want to do grace increased all the more what's he mean by that he means that grace covered even that even that kind of sin not just sin in ignorance because that people weren't quite clear and maybe their conscience was a little fuzzy but sin even when they knew what god's standard was even that sin 
God's grace at the cross covers. What was needed was a new way of obedience. You know, when God gave the law, God was giving it for a couple reasons. He was giving it so that people could have a way to be in covenant with him and also to reveal very clearly what was sin and what was not and to point it out as being sinful. But people couldn't keep it, could they? Even the Israelites, the God's chosen people, whom God called out of slavery, out of Egypt, and brought into a new land with an outstretched arm and great power and miracles, they couldn't keep it. And so they went into exile. And while they were in exile, God promised them, I'm going to give you a new covenant, a new way of obeying. And I'm going to not only require obedience i'm going to by grace enable obedience and i'm going to make it happen um god sent jesus to impute and impart righteousness not on the basis of obedience to the law but on the basis of grace so that salvation came not because of obedience but in spite of disobedience so while the law caused sin to increase God gave even more grace, even more grace. And that's, I, I, I was reading this passage and I, I remembered the words to the old hymn from 1911 written by Julia Johnston. Some of you may remember it if you grew up in church. Remember this one? It goes, grace, grace, God's grace, grace. Oh, pardon and cleanse within grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Grace from beginning to end. Grace when we most needed it. Grace when we sinned with an upraised arm, defiantly telling God what we were not going to obey grace even then even though we were as sinful as we could possibly be in the sight of God and as accountable for our sin and as deserving of death and hell as as we could possibly be we weren't all necessarily evil completely we weren't all murderers we weren't all Joseph Stalin or even John Wayne Gacy but we were as bad off as we needed to be because all of us were guilty of sin. And all of us, because of the law, were standing before God condemned. And even then, God sent his son to provide by grace what we could not earn and did not deserve. Let me wrap up here with a few questions. I began our time together today by saying that our topic could be summarized by the question what's wrong with the world best answer to this i ever heard was given by a christian author named gk chesterton who responded to a an essay contest on that question by the times of london a newspaper and he they they had thousands of responses and his was the winning entry even though lots of the responses went on for pages and pages, 
His was one typed page with two words, I am. And he was exactly right, because according to the Bible, you and I are what is wrong with the world. Because by our sin, we have made it the way that it is. So three questions here as we close. What do I trust in to make me acceptable before God? Do I trust in my effort, my goodness, my virtue to make me okay? I know a lot of Christians know in their heads that they don't do that. But many Christians, when they sin, tend to think that. They tend to go, well, I need to go I need to go walk a Girl Scout across the street. I need to confess and, you know, try to work my way back to where I was before I messed up. But it's not if you confess your sins and walk a Girl Scout across the street. It's not if you confess your sins and feel really bad about it for a month. It's not if you confess your sins and do a bunch of other good things to make up for it. It's if you confess your sins. Why? Because it's by grace that we, have ex- we are acceptable before God anyway. It has nothing to do with our behavior and everything to do with Jesus. Justification is by grace. Question number two, what do I do to make me righteous before God? And I find that as I talk to people in their heart of hearts, what they really believe is that Jesus can serve as the basis for God crediting to us righteousness when it comes to justification. But when it comes to actual practical righteousness, sanctification, living out the Christian life, what that requires is a bunch of work. And we're going to have to work as hard as we can. But that's not really the case. Trying to keep the law under your own steam will only lead you to despair. It will only lead you to despair. But by looking to Jesus to not only impute righteousness to you, but also to impart it, it will lead you to the goal that you seek. As you look to him, he will give you the righteousness that you cannot work for and attain. But it will come when you can't boast of your effort, because sanctification is by grace too. Last question. What must I do to reign with God? And that's a hard question for a lot of people. A lot of times if you ask people, if you stood before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? You get a lot of answers. And a lot of them have to do with the person's morality or, well, I'm better than some or not as bad as a lot of other people I know. But the answer is that if we want to reign with Christ, we have to first dethrone ourselves because he will not share his rule with anybody else. And we must recognize our efforts and our righteousness as the molehill that they are next to the Mount Everest of God's standard. 
and be willing to say to God, I got nothing. I got nothing to offer you. I got, I, you know, apart from this, I've done all the sinning, and Jesus, you're the only one who can do all the saving. And by grace, he welcomes you into his family and enables you to reign with him forever. Salvation, final salvation, glorification, is by grace too. It's all of grace and none of works. Amen? Let's pray.